All right, good morning. Let's get started. Uh, my name is Tristan Wheeler, friends with Patrick. This is, uh, I think, the third week. We're exploring the hero's journey in postmodernism and the Christ narrative. So that's what we're going to pick up today. And today we're going to talk about the refusal of the call. So like in every hero's journey, you have that moment where the hero gets the call, whoever it is. Um, Harry Potter finds out he's a wizard and then immediately goes, no, like, I can't, I can't be. Like, I'm just a, I'm a normal, a normal boy, you know. Uh, Luke Skywalker, the same thing. Like, no, I can't leave the farm. Uh, I've got chores to do. Uh, I can't, I can't fight in the rebellion. So there's always this point in the story where the character, like, realizes they're meant for something bigger and then decides to go against it. So I've titled this Breakups and Autoplay. And I wanted to tell you guys a story. When I was probably 10 years old, maybe nine, probably 10, double digits. I remember I was in the kitchen with my mom and my mom looked at me and she said, Tristan, I need you to unload the dishwasher. And I think it was that first point of realizing that I could, I could rebel, I could say no. So I looked at my mom, just square in the eyes and I said, no, you do it. And I heard my mom just looking at me and it was that patient motherly love that, you know, it ultimately went out and she said, Tristan, unload the dishwasher. I said, you unload the dishwasher. And I just remember like kind of like digging my, like I'm, I remember like as I was saying each rebellious statement, thinking like, what am I doing? And my mom said, I'm going to ask you one more time, unload the dishwasher. And you know, the voice dropped to that dangerous, like rumbling octave. And I said, you're a dishwasher, which doesn't even make sense. Like, it's, just, it's just a poor insult. And I remember my mom just looked at me in just fury. And she said, all right, I'm going to give you a spanking. And I looked at her and I said, fine, you can't hurt me anyway. And, and then my mom, I remember thinking like, as I said that, like, what am I doing? Like, why am I saying this? And my mom said, you're right. And I remember this moment of childish victory. Like, I've done it. Like, parents can be conquered. Like, I win. And then my mom goes, go to your room. And when your dad gets home, he will give you a spanking. I remember thinking like, oh, I've lost. I've lost so bad. Like, this is going to be brutal. And I remember like going to my room. I just had to wait in my room the whole day, like door closed, sitting there. And I remember the worst part was like, I heard my dad come in and he was in a good mood. And I could just like hear just the one-sidedness of the conversation. I heard my dad like start talking to my mom. And then all of a sudden he said, he said, what? Tristan! And I remember like opening the door and it's just like felt one of those funeral marches. Like I was like walking to the gallows, like saying 10 years old is, that's a fulfilling life. Like this is how I go. I feel like every story starts off with me like almost dying. Like, um, but I just remember like getting to my dad and my dad just like had that fury, the father fury. And he looked at me and he was like, did you tell your mother that she was a dishwasher? <laughs> and I remember like thinking like, man, I wish I could say no because it sounds so dumb now. And I was like, yes. And my dad was like, you never call your mom a dishwasher. <laughs> So I think, I think we're getting caught up on semantics here. And I just remember getting, it was like the last spanking I can remember. I don't remember if I got spankings after that, but that one was so bad. I don't remember anyone's that followed. I remember thinking like, I'll never talk back to my mom again. But I was thinking like, every one of us has that moment where we're like, we're called to something, like we're asked to participate in something, and then we refuse. Like we rebel, we deny. We think like, I will not do this. You know, I was thinking about this, and so if you want to, like, turn your Bibles, we're going to look at John chapter 2. So I was thinking about this with the Jesus, the Jesus narrative, Jesus story. I was like, is there ever a moment where Jesus just refuses the call? You know, where he's like, nope, not going to do it. 
And I was like, I don't know. Like, we always put Jesus on this, like, perfect platform. I was like, what if there's a moment where Jesus decided, like, I'm not going to do this. Like, I'm not going to participate in this. And so, looking at John chapter 2, it says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. This is like one of my favorite Jesus stories because it shows like a very real human relationship between a mother, a mother and son. And I just love that Jesus says, Woman, not mom. Like, I'm just imagining Mary, like, and I love Mary's reaction to this point. Jesus goes, Woman, what does that have to do with me? Like, can you just see, like, she walks over and she's, like, laughing and joking with the other disciples. And then Mary kind of interrupts and she's like, they're out of wine. She's like, not my problem. Right? Like, this is kind of like what, and then I love that she just pulls the mom card. Like, she just ignores him. And she, like, walks over and she's like, this is my son Jesus. Whatever he says to do, do it. Like, she doesn't let his excuse go. Like, she's just like, yeah, you're going to do this. Like, I don't care. And I was thinking about this phrase, though. She just goes, like, my hour has not yet come. Like, it's not my time. Like, not right now. And I was thinking, like, in every, like, hero story, there's that moment, like, where the hero refuses the call, and it's always, like, in something, like, it's a very inconvenient time. Have you ever thought about that? Like, life is, al- it's always very inconvenient for you to do whatever it is that's on your heart to do. Like, life never works out in such a way where you're like, you know what, a couple years from now, when fill in the blank is good, I will do this thing. It's like that thing will never come. Like we always are waiting for the dust to settle to start living life. And life is the dust swirling around us. I love the creation story because at the very beginning, it says that God hovered over the waters. And in the Jewish tradition, that idea is like God hovered over the chaos and he created. So there's this idea that God is saying like in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the uncertain is when you start. You don't wait for things to work out to make sense. Like you go into it right off the bat. And so you have Mary just saying, you know what? And like, I'm going to just push you into the story. I'm saying that even if you refuse, I'm pulling you into it. Brendan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, he calls God the hound of heaven. Like God is just always going to chase you. This is why Psalm 139 uh, appeals to so many people. is because it just shows God relentlessly going after you. And I want, I want you to think about this. Think about every hero's story that the hero almost has no choice whether or not he's going to get sucked into an adventure. You know, and we almost always, like, laugh, but I was thinking about this. Like, think of some of the great, you can think of superheroes, characters. Like, ultimately something happens. So, for instance, okay, like Spider-Man. What happens that puts him on the course of becoming Spider-Man? What is it? He gets bit by a spider. He gets bit by a spider, but then there's something, like, right after that. What is it? There's... Yeah, Uncle Ben dies, and that is like what kind of like, because at first he's like, not my problem. Like I was watching the clips from the movies, and there's a scene where like the bad guy gets away, and the guy's like, hey, stop him. And Peter Parker goes, not my policy, and like walks away, and you're just like, oh, this is going to be bad. Like you're going to wish you had stopped him. And then Uncle Ben is killed by that same guy who gets away. So it's like he, there's like this undercurrent. He doesn't have a choice. He just gets like pulled into the story, like sucked into the story. Without Think about like other narratives. Yeah, give me some examples. When you think of stories, how the character almost, it's like out of their control that they get pulled into this. What are some of the movies, the books that you like, where you feel like this happens? 
Wally? Yeah, elaborate. Well, he was just minding his own business cleaning up the planet, and then Eva shows up and finds the plant, and he follows her and gets on the ship, and, you know, he just kind of got sucked into the story. Yeah, he gets, like, pulled out of it. I, I remember crying at the end of Wally. I was like, when she's holding his hand, and I was like, he better wake up. Like, I was like, if I've watched this movie and he doesn't get to hold her hand at the end, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to swear off Pixar movies after this. Um, yeah, so that's a good example. Guessing of any others. Okay, I haven't seen it, but tell me. Yeah, so it's that kind of idea of like, I mean, it fall the the adventure falls out of the sky, like it's this idea like they almost don't have a choice. So I was thinking about this idea of my hours not yet come, and there's this this thought I want to to share with you all is like we have this responsibility to live like this moment right now, to start living our life right now. Uh, in the movie Amazing Grace. Uh, there's this really cool part where um, Benedict Cumberbatch is talking, and um, eventually he's going to like overthrow the slave trade in England. And he's talking to one of his best friends, uh, William Pitt the Younger. So the, there's these two guys, and they're really early on in Parliament. And his friend, um, William, William Pitt, he comes up to him and goes, Hey, I, wa- I want you to run on the platform of overthrowing the slave trade. He goes, And I'm going to run for prime minister. And there's this awesome line where Wilberforce, he goes, no one of our age has ever taken power so young. And then he says, exactly. We are too young to know certain things are impossible, so we will try them anyway. And I just love that, because whenever you look at kids, like kids will try to do a thing. They don't know that there's impossibilities yet. They don't know that there's like an inability to do things. And that's always the very first excuse of the hero is like, I can't do this for whatever reason. Like I've got chores, I have responsibilities. Like think about this in your own personal life, and let's start some examples. What are things right now that are keeping you from chasing the thing that like, you think you're supposed to be here to do? Like, think about the things like maybe deep in your heart. Like, you don't have to share that because that's, that's scary and intimate. Like, I'll, I'll just share my, I would like to be a writer and that terrifies me. Like, that's like, what I want to do. Like, when I wake up, that's like, what I would like to do with my life is to write. And yet there's like, certain things that just like, terrify me from doing that on a day-to-day basis. So think about whatever that thing is for you. What are the reasons that prevent you from doing it? Saying, not today. My hour's not yet come. Maybe tomorrow. What are those things that put it off for you? What are the thoughts? The fears? As long as it's up here, right, then it can be perfect. But if you start trying to do it, it might not turn out right. It might look really weird. My mom gave me a basket I made when I was 10 years old. She's like, look at this basket you made. It's hideous. And Anna's like, it looks so cute. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It, didn't, it did not turn out the way I thought it was going to. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it, it might look different. What other thoughts? The things you want to do? I think it, the, one of the biggest fears is just what other people will think. People are always worried about what the, like the judgment of other people. I think that's so true. Why do you think that is? Let's open that up. Why, do you, why are we afraid of what other people think about whatever it is that we feel like we should do? 
moment that you lose that support. I might, so it's a feeling, I might be alone in this. Mm-hmm. Like I have a community right now, but if I try to do this thing I believe in, mm-hmm. I might lose all this, I might lose all these people. I might do it on my own. What other thoughts? All we do is interact with other people. Like every action we make in life is in reaction to something else that somebody else has done. And so that's a huge influencer and what our next move will be. That's a really good point. So we're kind of like colliding off of each other towards what? And to, to maybe not use the energy of colliding off somebody, but to go our own path, to follow our own direction is... You have to almost self-generate that energy, that purpose. Any other thoughts? I saw this quote by Marianne Williamson I want to share it. It said, an acorn turns into an oak tree. It's extraordinary. The difference between you and me and the acorn is that we can say no. Singing about, you know, in the Christian tradition we believe the idea of Emmanuel, God is with us. Like we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Like we have this ability to grow into something magnificent, something beautiful, like to make change and beautiful power on this earth. And also within that realm of free will, we have the ability to say no. That's one of the reasons why Jesus' story is so beautiful is you see him wrestle in the garden and you see him weigh the option of maybe saying no. You see him like feeling like it isn't just as simple like just like I'm going to do this and never look back. Like you see that moment where he grapples and struggles with it. He says, if I go this path, it will go all the way to this part. It'll be pain and humiliation. It's like, and, that, and he goes, if there's any other way, if I could maybe go a different direction, I would like that to choose something different. We have that ability to say no. And so often we, we choose that. We say no to life. Like we wake up every day and in some subtle subconscious way we're like, I want to say no today. Like I'll say yes tomorrow, but today I want to say no to this, to this dream, to this life. I want to say no to this relationship. One of my uh, friends, he had tattooed on the back of his calf the word yes. And I asked him about it one time. And he said, because it's, it's always a yes that like, gets you further in life. Like He's like, you say like yes to the person you're going to get married to. Like yes to a job. Like yeses are the things that like propel you forward. It's like even waking up and saying yes to life on any given day. And I was thinking about this and within this idea, and I think there's, there's two great powers in the universe. And the first one I would say is, is autoplay. I forgot to change these default pictures, so just pretend that this is part of it. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking, like, we all have Netflix, right? So what happens at the end of a Netflix episode? How many seconds do you have to make a decision? Like, was it like, it's, I think it's under 10, right? Five, maybe? We were, watching it, we were watching a TV show yesterday, and I could not get to the remote in time before the next episode started. And I'm thinking, like, I guess we're just going to watch it now. <laughs> you know? Like, it had already, like, queued up. Like, you had this idea. And so I was thinking of this idea of, like, it's comfort, right? I mean, look at, we are, everyone in this class right now is sitting down. Why? Why did you, why is no one standing during class? Okay, I'll change it. Is it more comfortable to sit during the class or to stand during the class? <laughs> like we all sit, we all come into class and we all sit down. I would be uncomfortable if I sat down and taught, so I'm standing up. But it's once again an idea of comfort. So we all choose, like 
as human beings, we so often choose like the path of least resistance. Like we choose what is comfortable. So I think about this in our lives, like we want to choose the most comfortable path. And so I think this is one of the great forces in the, the universe is if we can just remain comfortable, then we'll just stay. If we'll stay in punishing relationships, we'll stay in, in punishing systems, we'll stay just with the status quo because we're comfortable. And stepping out of that would mean some discomfort, some pain. And then the second force, I think, is suffering. I think suffering pulls you outside of yourself. If, if comfort is at one end of the spectrum, then suffering would be at the other end. Suffering is so often what happens. When you think about this hero's journey, so we talked about with Spider-Man, Uncle Ben dies, and that propels him forward, right? Like Batman, Bruce Wayne, what happens to Batman's parents? What is like the whole motive for him becoming Batman? His parents get murdered. His parents get murdered, and that like triggers. So you look at so many of the hero's journey, in some way, some suffering occurs, some discomfort occurs, and it propels them forward. There's something wrong in the world. Something bad is happening. And they get pulled out of the status quo, out of their comfortable life, into something different, something kind of scary, something impressive. I want to show you this clip from this movie because I think it sums it up so well. Um, this idea of, of suffering, of pulling us out of our status quo. The movie is called Instinct, and has, have any of you seen it? Uh, it's an older movie. It has Anthony Hopkins and Cuba Gooding Jr. And in the movie, Cuba is a psychologist, and he's working with Anthony Hopkins. And they find Anthony Hopkins' character. He's out living with the gorillas in Africa, and they like bring him back to the States and put him in the psych ward. And Anthony Hopkins, he sees, or Cuba Gooding Jr., he sees Anthony Hopkins as this breakthrough case. Like, it will skyrocket his career. So he doesn't actually care about Anthony Hopkins. He's just kind of using him to get ahead. And so there's a scene I want to show you, and I think it's a really beautiful, um, interesting situation on what it says about the idea of suffering. Oh, 
Anthony Hopkins is just the best bad guy ever. He's terrifying. So I love that clip though, because he, what is it that he takes? What is it that he helps him realize that he's taken? What is it at the very end? Illusions. He says like, you didn't have freedom, you didn't have control, you just had the illusion of all these things. So some of this idea like, pulls him out of it. There's a quote I saw that I loved. It says that none come to God except through suffering. It's like, and one of my favorite writers, he said, suffering is any moment when you're not in control. So why, why do you get upset when you're at a red light? Because you're not in control. So it's not going your way. So you can have suffering on the most like minute of details and you have suffering on the greatest of details. And like we so often do not figure out ways to handle our suffering very well. When suffering occurs, we so often question like, where is God? How can God be good in this? And we don't let suffering to become a transformative and powerful force. I want to uh, end by telling you this parable that I found and then kind of showing how it is true in my life and how it might be true in yours. I read this, this parable in it. This, uh, there's an older man and he had a son and, and a horse. And one day the horse ran away and his neighbor came up to him and he said, I'm so sorry that you lost your horse. And the old man said, 
Who knows if it was good or bad? And the next day, three wild horse showed up at the old man's house. So he now had three wild horses. And the neighbor comes and says, that's such great news. Now you have three horses. The old man says, who knows if this is good or bad? said the next day his son was trying to break in one of the wild horse and it threw his son and his son broke his his arm and his leg and forever had a limp the neighbor came over he said i'm so sorry that this happened to your son and he said who knows if this was good or bad and then the next day the king sent out a decree and summoned all the young men to go fight in the war and the son was unable to go because he had a limp and at this point the neighbor said to himself who knows if this is good or bad and so, so often in our life, we like to put things in like categories of this was a good thing that happened and this was a bad thing that happened. Um, and so we have this like either or dualistic mindset of good things that happen and bad things that happen. But when I think back on my own personal life, especially being 10 years removed from college, I'm not so sure anymore about the good things that happened and the bad things that happened. Because things I thought were horrible turned out to get turned and worked to be good. And some things that I thought were good sometimes came to become like a, a curse. So for instance, uh, about a year and a half after college, I was playing a pickup game of basketball and I came down wrong and tore my ACL. And I remember laying on the basketball court and it was just one of those moments where up until college, I was a decent athlete and I remember feeling in some way I was superhuman, that while other people got injured, I was in some way Superman. And I remember the moment when I tore my ACL, I remember laying on the basketball court and I started screaming. I remember feeling my knee and it wasn't the pain, it was this realization that I'm human, that I'm mortal, that I can go down, that I can be hurt. It was this lesson I realized like, at some point like I will grow old, my body will let me down, like this is the, the progression, the course. And I remember laying there like feeling like my illusions be taken away from me. And there was also this weird moment though where I remember thinking, this is bad. Like I remember my knee just ballooning to the size of a bowling ball immediately. I remember I was like, this is bad. But then I remember having this weird, in the back of my mind, think of like, but you don't know everything that will come from this. And so I remembered thinking this, and it was a weird sense of peace. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but remember in the midst of this bad thing happening, I remember thinking, yeah, this isn't all bad. Something else will come from this. And so then I remembered deciding, okay, I've I have to go to the doctor. I went to the doctor and I said, okay, like, so what's the deal? Like, am I down for two weeks, you know, and then I'm back? And the doctor was like, oh no, you tore your ACL and damaged the meniscus and uh, we're going to have to have like full reconstructive surgery. And we're thinking, what? And he goes, oh yeah, and then it'll be another six months before you're walking. And just having the surgery and the pain that came after the surgery. I remember one time waking up at just two in the morning because the pain medicine had run out and it was the most pain I had ever been in. Then I remember I started going to physical therapy and then while I was there, I met this really cute girl uh, and then it turns out like she had a boyfriend um, and then like a couple years later, like I married this really cute girl. I remember thinking like, this is really cool. Like, so out of tearing my ACL, like I met this cute girl. So like this thing that seemed bad ultimately became good. And so there's this thing of like, we so often, we just, we don't know. We don't know if something is good or if something is bad. And so there's often these times when you think something occurs and we're just, we're really not sure. So there's just this idea of, of don't be hasty. So, so often when you're in the midst of something really good happening, we're like, this is a really good thing and I like overattach to it or something bad happens and you overattach to it. Like this is either the end of the world or the start of a, a wonderful, beautiful world. Instead of just maybe, not passing judgment on it and allowing the thing to be. 
Because so often we, we just don't see things very well. We see things as we are and not often as how the things actually themselves are. So there's a scene I love. It's like the closing idea of, in the Lord of the Rings movie. And um, Gandalf is talking to Frodo and they see this creature, Gollum. And Frodo walks over to Gandalf and he says, it's a pity that Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. And Gandalf looks at him and goes, pity? It was pity that stayed his hand. Pity and mercy, not to kill without need. And then he says, there are many that live that deserve death, and many that die that deserve life. He says, will you give it to them? And Frodo, at this point, you know, is like the school child that's just been called. He's like, no. And he goes, okay, then don't be so hasty to deal out death and judgment, for even the wise cannot see all ends. It says, the pity and compassion of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. It's like this, this moment where Bilbo, Bilbo shown mercy could have lasting impact. It's like, you just don't know. So don't be hasty. So as I've said, like every week, we want to end on like a benediction. So I wanted to end on this quote by Marianne Williamson. I sent it in the email, but it says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your plain small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So this week, I encourage you to spend time Take 15 minutes at the beginning and end of your day and sit in quiet and listen to like what it is on your heart that is calling you. And then to, to live boldly, to be liberated from your fears, to shine in such a way that it encourages the people around you. Like you have an ability to impact and enlighten and brighten people's days all the way around you if you just have that courage. And I wish that and pray that for everybody in this room. I know that Jackson now has some announcements to share with us. Yeah. Um, for college students, we've got some stuff coming up on Wednesdays at 6.30. Um, we have fireside chats. Last week, I think Andrea could be there. Was, um, we 